Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of movie pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. <laughs> Hello there, witches and weirdos. Welcome to episode four of the Real Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Mason, and I hope you had a wonderful Samhain, or you're planning on having one tomorrow from when this comes out. Today, we are talking about the movie you've all been waiting for, the remake of a movie that defined so many of our witchy childhoods. No, it's not The Craft Legacy. We're talking about that next week. But this week, we're talking about The Witches both the original 1990 version and the new remake from HBO Max and Warner Brothers that came out last week. This was an interesting discussion because, well, the remake wasn't very good. And The Witches itself is a really interesting portrayal of witches because it portrays witches as monsters that kill children, and it has a lot to do with a lot of historical fears about witches and even anti-Semitism. We even talked about how the same sort of fears about evil cabals and covens killing children still applies to QAnon nowadays. My guest today was Ashley Quatch, who is a writer and podcaster. She is one of the writers behind Deck the Halls with Matrimony, which is a wonderful rom-com podcast. And she's also one of the co-authors of Santa's Husband, which is a great little book about how Santa is married to a man and also Santa's black. It's great. So she's a wonderful person to talk with about children's media and just movies in general. So here's our discussion with Ashley Quatch about the witches. You may remove your shoes. You may remove your wigs. The doors. As a lot and bolded. Locked and bolded. Good. Help. No, no, no. So, hi, Ashley Quatch. Welcome to episode four of the Real Magic Podcast. It's so great I'm to have so you here. Happy to be here. <laughs> Talking about will we call this new remake a good movie or not? Oh, gosh. Uh, let's just hear, say we're here to talk about the witches. We're, ta- we're here to talk about the witches, old and new, good and bad, and problematic and not. Well, mostly problematic if we're looking at it from a portrayal of witches' point of view. <laughs> but before we get into that, I have my regular icebreaker. Is Was there a movie that you saw when you were a kid that ever made you like believe in magic? That was your favorite, like gateway into magical thinking or witchcraft or any of that? I think 
not not a movie but a book uh Matilda uh, actually for me oh that's very that's very on point for today (laughs) (laughs) Roald Dahl man like he really god he really knew what he was doing when it came to writing you know magical stuff for children you know uh not everything he did was great. Not everything about him was great, <laughs> but he really had his finger on the button for that. So, yeah, I think that that's why Roald Dahl was so, he still is a classic or his works are a classic, even though we've found out a lot of stuff about him as a person. And it kind of relates to somebody else who we found out a lot about as a person whose works are still a classic, which is J.K. Rowling. Oh. And his work, I mean, like, you can see his fingerprints all over Harry Potter because it is that idea of like, especially for English children, I don't know what's going on over there in England, but like that idea of like adults are the enemy and you are secretly magical and something's going to happen that's going to free you from the prison of these horrible people that you're all around. And so I think that that really resonates with a lot of kids who feel like the real world and the adult world is so scary and unmagical. So that's sort of why he still gets read nowadays and why Harry Potter is still going to get read no matter what J.K. Rowling says about anything, sadly. I think that's a big key in writing for young people is because the thing is like, you know, um, when kids have so much ability that their, their brains are growing so fast, they are, they are learning things at rip fast speeds. And so that in itself really does have a magical element to it. Like you have this incredible power as a child because you are expanding so quickly. And so I really think that maybe that's part of the reason why magic is so natural and can exist in such a, it's such an easy to understand idea as a kid because like you are yourself, you know, uh, commanding this incredible little galaxy inside you. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of like, especially with Matilda, this idea Mm -hmm. that you know and understand more than the adults around you, which is something that kids I think always kind of feel. I mean, I remember being a kid and thinking, I know better than my mom or these mean teachers. And so having the existence of like actual magic be something that you know and understand better than adults is a great metaphor and a great, you know, I think it also put it childhood. in grasp because like Matilda, it starts with her reading a lot. Exactly. Knowledge is power. Literally. If you read Matilda, you were probably reading a lot. And so it had, it built this idea in that you were just like, just like this far away from being able to move things with your mind and tell me you didn't try. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so there's such a direct line from like Matilda specifically to Harry Potter, I think, because it's like the kind of maltreated magical kid who then ends up with this like terribly abusive teacher. <laughs> What's funny is like just talking about like movies you watch as a child that persuade you of magic. Like I am old enough that like I didn't have a lot of good. <laughs> like I was like what did I watch as a child like I like Casper is my demographic uh but that's not really like doing magic it's just ghosts gosh what was there for kids at my age like for me it was Wizard of Oz and Sleeping Beauty which I've mentioned on the podcast before but like those two I wanted to be the Wicked Witch and I wanted to be Maleficent which explains a lot about <laughs> who I grew up to be yeah I guess you're right Little Mermaid Beauty and the Beast that sort of yeah but I was just sitting here thinking like, 
Richie Rich, blank check, you know, like, you know, we got, we got like the, oh, get, you know what, actually, uh, gosh, what's the name of that movie? Men in Black. That was like middle school age for me. And that was, that was sort of in that same realm of like, you know, um, like I remember reading a philosophy book that was sort of discussing about like the idea of like, you know, a rabbit being pulled out of a top hat and like you, you know, you, you know, your hat, you know, what, what your world is. And then like, you come above the brim and you're like, oh, 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 you know, <laughs> those are always great magical universes. But yeah, Men in Black, same director as Adam's Family, which is another one that like, isn't really strictly witchy, but it's like Morticia's a witch. We just know this. And it's speaking of Morticia, Angelica Houston is just sort of iconic for so many childhoods because mm-hmm. she's been in all these movies, The Witches and Adam's Family. She's just sort of this goth icon and I love her. <laughs> but we're here today to talk about The Witches. The witch. And so we're talking about it because a new remake just came out on HBO Max when it Less was. Less for trying. Yeah. Um, there's like, so since this is a podcast about not just about the movies, but about the way witches and magic and paganism and spirituality are portrayed in the movies, we kind of have a dual inquiry. So I was going to split this into two parts. We have part one is, is this movie accurate or how does it portray witches and how does that relate to the overall history of witchcraft and witches and then the second part will be is this a good movie and that's going to be interesting because I think we're going to have two different answers for the two different versions of this movie I think it's pretty clear why they just sort of shoved this remake onto HBO Max like oh it's Halloween now we're just we got rid of it (laughs) so let's talk I wonder if HBO Max is going to have a Netflix movies problem We'll see. I think this is just like Warner Brothers was like, oh, we don't want to wait another year to put this out around Halloween. And <laughs> and we've seen this movie, so let's just put it on Max and that'll get a few extra subscribers. So let's talk about the witches themselves. There's a lot of different kind of witches you see in pop culture. There's like witches who are servants of the devil. There are witches who are like nice magical beings. There's witches that are close in some way to like actual magical practitioners in the real world. And then there's movies like this, where witches are actual supernatural monsters that murder children. And I think that's probably the worst way witches can be portrayed. Actually, it's very specifically in this movie, they are, I feel like they were pretty careful not to use the word kill in regards to like witches and children. They kept saying things like squished, which is a, a little bit of a callback to the Roald Dahl book, but it struck me as being very strange that like, cause it's like in the first three minutes when, you know, Chris Rock's voiceover is sort of doing the whole witch, 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 witch thing. And very conspicuously not using the word killed. And then we go straight to the car accident, which is so traumatizing, so much more traumatizing. And I was like, Oh no, why? So, uh, yeah. yeah, you're, you're, yes. So even, even in Roald Dahl's book, witches are creatures that are not human. Yeah. And that sort of feeds into like this whole history of the witch trials and the witch persecutions And I've been reading a very interesting book lately called The Witch by Ronald Hutton. And it's more about the idea of the witch as a malevolent magical practitioner who needs to be like hunted out. 
And that's not an entirely European idea. There are lots of cultures where there are people who are that kind of witch who are feared and hunted and killed. But it's, you know, specifically in Europe, it's taken on a lot of different connotations. And my theory is one of the reasons that this thing, this idea of witchcraft or evil magic or evil magic doers exists around the world is it just explains when horrible things happen to children. It's kind of like how... You know, the the satanic panic was because uh, America started to find out that children were being abused and it was easier to believe in Satanists than it was to to accept the reality of child abuse. Yeah, child sexual abuse to be, you know, as honest as we can. Um, yeah, that's what I was, I was going to bring up the satanic panic because it's the exact same thing. It's this idea of like, evil supernatural people usually witches or satanists murdering children specifically well, and it's also like QAnon now like, like exactly. it's easier to believe in pedophiles than it is to accept the realities of you know child and children being separated from their parents at the border you know yeah i think there's a definite correlation between the rise of QAnon and putting that on that scapegoat and you know people who believe in QAnon refusing to believe that children are in the cages in the border. It's a scapegoat and it's very, it's a very dark tendency of humanity. And it's quite a great topic for a kid's movie, (laughs) but to kind of bring this back to Roald Dahl. I feel like they, do do you think that they consider this when they're getting ready to make this movie? They're like, we'll really get the QAnon crowd here. Oh, you look at the, also these things, the witch trials and this idea of specifically like eating and murdering children that has a really long history with anti-Semitism mm-hmm. and the yeah. idea of blood libel, where the idea that, that Jews rather than witches were the ones murdering children and doing heresy that came up in the hunt for Jack the Ripper I found out recently because they thought he was a Jew who was doing horrible things because that's what Victorian England believed Jews did, because there's a horrible history of anti-Semitism in England, just as much as in every country, but Roald Dahl also was a giant anti-Semite. And he he very much owned this, and he was, I think, fired by his publisher eventually for saying such horrible anti-Semitic things. Jumping back to Jack the Ripper, was yeah. I, the, the, the theory I'm familiar with was that it was the Queen's surgeon. How much proof was on that? I forget. I haven't gotten to that part in this excellent new podcast by um, it's by Aaron Mankey. He's you know shout out to another great podcaster. Well, a great podcaster. I don't you know you're the other great podcaster here. I was just I was just gonna say like that that because you know, I I always remember that because it's like Occam's razor. Like you know like like it would make so much more sense if it's just like someone who's in power. Of course he didn't get caught. Like you know yeah. But early on in the Ripper panic, there was a lot of blaming of uh, a Jewish person who lived in Whitechapel. And yeah, but Roald Dahl like owned his anti-Semitism in some really overt ways. And The Witches of all his works is probably his most anti-Semitic because it very much feeds into those real stories about witches killing children and Jews killing children. And when you look at the look of the witches in the movie, and specifically in the Angelica Houston version, Mm. it's got that long hooked nose, which you see in a lot of witches and caricatures. You see it in the Wizard of Oz too, but that's very much rooted in anti-Semitism. 
because mm-hmm. those two things, the anti-witch feeling and anti-Semitism really can't be untangled because Europe just hated everyone. <laughs> so again, yeah, great topic for a kid's movie. <laughs> but do you think it's good that like the stuff is getting in kids' movies or is it, you know, passing on these prejudices to kids? The parts of the book, The Witches, that I appreciated and think that lend themselves best to a kid's movie is like the idea of kids having some kind of empowerment, you know, like that, like it's like anytime when you have sort of a kid's adventure, you know, um, it's, it's, it's gets, it gets very reduced in this movie uh, by some different means. And we'll talk about that in a bit, but like, you know, like the, but you know, in, in the book and in the first movie and, you know, like they, they have a little tiny bit of it in this movie, like the, you know, like the rat, the mice in the kitchen, like adapting the life of being a mouse, you know, being able to, you know, take on this, this risky adventure in order to save the lives of a bunch of other people. Like those are, good constructs for like a child adventure and this idea of kids being able to sort of like take their, their fate in their own hands. And that that's positive. Um, you know, I I can't speak too much about like (laughs) whether it's good to pass on, uh, these, uh, anti-Semitic cause it's, cause it's true. It's like, like, especially if you go back and you look at the book, like, uh, the way that the descriptions of the witches are sort of set up. Uh, yeah, it's it's all those old, nasty stereotypes. Yeah, even like this stereotype of like Jews and then the witches having like unending supply of money out of nowhere. It's also plays into that same bad stuff. So, <laughs> it's a, so you've read the book. I don't actually think I've read the book. I've read a lot of other Roald Dahl, but I've never read this one you said you had a story about the book yes so um I read pretty much all of Roald Dahl when I was a kid like I was one of those kids that read things hundreds of times just you know I would just pour over books and I would have like you know four or five books sort of open at the same time just kind of like channel flipping between my favorite parts um and so I was born and raised in North Carolina uh, for folks from the South in the Bible Belt, y'all might know what that implies. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it, it's a culture. And so I was, I was like 14 or 15. Uh, so this was, I can't remember if it was fresh. Oh, um, no, it was middle school. No, no, no. It was freshman year of high school. That's what it was. Sorry. Uh, just trying to parse it out in my brain. <laughs> Um, so I was about 14, 15. So we're talking like brace face, uh, skin, not looking too great. I did not have these cute bangs yet. I still had like, you know, the big high forehead and glasses. And, uh, that summer was the first year that I was in the marching band. So I had like, you know, the good sock tan and all that, like all, all in all, just like, you're killing uh, it. Just, uh, just, yeah. Crushing it crushing it in the in the teen cool department and uh we had just had some new neighbors move in next door you know we growing up I had these great neighbors named the littles who'd lived next door for all these years they moved away and we were all very sad about that we got this new family that moved in next door and to my great delight 
because I was also a big reader of the Babysitter's Club. They had small children. And I was like, yay, at last. I will, I'm the appropriate age to be a babysitter. It's finally happening. It's all coming together. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like we got slightly acquainted with the family. Like my, I think my parents probably like ventured it to them. They're like, hey, you know, our daughter, if you ever need a babysitter, you know. Uh, and so at some point I, like, they agreed to give it a try. Like I was brought over to babysit there. I believe they had two kids. I want to say, I want to say that they were like, maybe like five and eight about that age, you know, boy and a girl. And it was fine. You know, like, you know, we ate dinner We like, they begged for books, you know, played a couple games, put them to bed. No big deal. You know? And, but of course, like when you babysit, you have to keep babysitting after the kids go to bed until the yeah. parents come home. That's Apparently you can't just leave them. Can't just leave them. Um, so like a responsible babysitter, <laughs> I had brought a book to read to keep myself entertained. And it was Roald Dolls the Witches. And when I went home that night, I think I forgot it. Like, I guess I left it behind. And uh, without my knowledge... I found out about this after the fact. The next day, the, the people who live next door confronted my parents in the front yard and told them that oh they were a bitch. And they they were like, what are you going to do about this little witch Satanist of yours? And my parents were baffled, as <laughs> rightly so. <laughs> um, I... I I don't, I don't know how much longer after that they, they finally ended up telling me they were so mad. <laughs> Your parents were? Not at me. And it's funny because I was actually telling this story to another friend of mine and she was really on the edge of her seat. She was like, did your parents believe them? And I was like, no, they thought they were kooks. Because <laughs> good, good on your parents. Which is very good for my parents. And, you know, part of the reason why I'm the well-adjusted adult I am today, uh, like, Thank goodness that they they were like, ah, oh, those people are, what is their deal? <laughs> who does that? Literally, who does that? Um, and I never saw that book again. <laughs> so I guess they burned it. Or oh, God. And that's so funny because like, and it does feed into sort of what this book and all the QAnon and Satanic Panic and Witch Hunts are all about is this idea that there are evil child-eating witches out there I'm pretty sure they told other people because another girl I went to school with picked up the babysitting job and was their babysitter for a very long time and she asked me about it once in the hall she was like you babysat for them once right and I was like yeah and she was like I'm making a face this is audio Uh, (laughs) but she look she gave me was very appraising of like hmm I know something about you now that I'm not sure how I think about that. <laughs> and it's, I, I don't know. I, I do wonder sometimes if she thought for real that I was a witch. No, see, I always aspired to be the neighborhood witch. I would, if, if, yeah, if I'd actually had some powers, I would have been absolutely on board with that, but I didn't, I had braces. <laughs> I was throwing everything off. It sounds like you were just like right out of the craft, with the band look and the braces and <laughs> The, yeah. Uh, gosh, how old was I when The Craft came out? 96. Talk so. about another movie, but that was, yeah. that was highly influential. And I definitely tried to get some girls to play Light as Feather Stiff as a board. And oh, we all was did. told yeah. that it was satanic because it was North Carolina. 
anyway. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I appreciate that this movie and uh, both, both versions of it. And, and I'm assuming the book that doesn't mention Satan. That's true. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, but like there, but then again, I guess, Oh, that was, that was the, that was the thing about the book. Cause it was very, it, it like was really, it really emphasized, was it Norway, Sweden? Yeah, the, the book is set in like Norway and England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so there was a there was a heavy emphasis on like, you know, I guess that particular mythology. Um, or or at least that was that was sort of the way it was presented, was like in Norway, this is a fact of life. Everyone kind of knows this. You know, it's only yeah. in England where people don't know about which is like crazy, you know. Yeah. And I mean, like the witches, the Angelica Houston Grand High Witch, she looks a lot like like a Norwegian troll in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Cause like those are the same sort of the trolls are like some of them are cute and some of them are evil, but they do have like big ears and big noses. I just, just I always just features. assumed it was just like that was just the one that Jim Henson does. Like they're like yeah. Like Jim Henson just took him to the lab and they're like, this is what we got. Will that work? And they're like, sure. You're Jim Henson. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. That thing with like not having, you know, a mention of the devil or whatever is the problem I have sometimes with this movie, with like the book and movie and story in general is like, there's no reason why the witches hate children. Like it just is. And I guess that's fine for a kid's movie, but like, I, I kind of want more. I'm like, well, why do they hate children and not adults like yeah that's very I know the sort of the metaphor of I know that's sort of the metaphor of the book is that like adults are out to get you or somebody is out to get you but it just when you think about it too much it sort of falls apart because like why why children why why I will say something that I thought this movie did that was a step in the wrong direction the the remake Uh, yeah, like yeah. the because they really put the emphasis on candy. Like every time a witch tries to approach a child, they're giving them a sweet, and that's not how it is in the book. Sometimes no. a witch will roll up on you or look at you funny, uh, and then poof, the the bad thing happens. The the getting put into a portrait or turned into a chicken or whatever. Like candy is not the connecting factor, and. That in itself, I think, is you know, because like when we talk to kids about like, you know, using good judgment when it comes to strangers and that sort of thing, like boiling it down to something like don't take candy from strangers is too reductive, you know, yeah. and, it puts the, candy. and it puts the onus on children rather than on adults yes. for like taking care of their kids. Mm-hmm. And it kind of puts the villainy and like, oh, at these mysterious people in vans with candy are going to kidnap you and take you to, you know, child traffic children or take them to satanic rituals or put them in paintings when usually it's like, no one wants to accept the most child abuse happens with people that the adults know. Again, to get really dark here. I was listening to something they were talking about how like one of the things they tell the kids now is like, if someone asks you for directions, be like, no, I'm a child. I don't know directions. Like, no one, sh- no one should ever ask you for directions. And I was like, that's actually really good advice. No adult should ever ask a child for directions. Why would it, yeah, why would you ask a child for directions if you actually wanted to get somewhere? Exactly, yeah. it's so suspicious. But it's one of those things where like, as a child, you don't think that way because you're like, 
I know my world and I am, I'm commander and king and whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it's an, but it's an interesting little piece of critical thinking to that to me, like it, cause some, sometimes it just takes one little adjustment to, to make you more aware, you know, like, so for that, for me, like hearing that I was like, Oh, that does open up a whole new world of possibilities ways to think about like how to talk to kids about, being aware of their surroundings and like when you should get mom, that kind yeah. of thing. I mean, like I have a five-year-old <laughs> and I always just say like, anytime, if a grown up who's not, you know, your parent asked you to keep a secret, come talk to me. Yes. Like that's, and that's you a know, good tip. because I, I, you know, background on me, I worked in child welfare and so, and, I, and ch- juvenile justice. So I know all the horror stories. I know all about all this, the real monsters out there and they aren't, spoiler alert they aren't witches and jews they're regular people and they're usually you know a step parent so that's again super fun for a kids movie (laughs) (laughs) we're very upbeat on this podcast oh yeah but so let's kind of talk about the movie and we talked about the look um i'm gonna go out on a limb and say the original 1990 and i've been saying 1989 on this podcast. I apologize to the listener. It's 1990. Um, the 1990 version is way better than this remake. It's very, Would you agree? Yeah, it's a very child movie of the 80s, 90s, in that it's much slower. Mm-hmm. And you're like, whew, wow, we're really taking our time and like, you know, got that, got that nice like TV lens going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely, but, yeah, like it's, it's a, it's a more faithful adaptation of the book it's uh, well we're, we'll get <laughs> yeah I for me the biggest like the um what is the word I'm trying to think of the uh symptomatic thing about the remake versus the original is the way they use effects mm-hmm. and they use so much CGI mm-hmm. in this new version and it's Robert Zemeckis and he's got a whole obsession with CGI and and I saw that Guillermo del Toro was on the writer's list and that's and that's when I was like oh that explains the arms you know like that's such a Guillermo del Toro thing like the bendy arms coming at you yeah I would have loved to see the Guillermo del Toro version of this that could have been cool because I think there would have been some practical effects there (laughs) but yeah the original one had these great practical physical real effects and like the makeup on Angelica Houston like that's the best scene in the original movie I think is when she's talking to the witches in that she's t- oh god yeah that was and when she takes the mask off and like yeah. the, and the, like the you know they built her up the weird you know sort of vulture like you know collarbone and those long <laughs> fingers and Angelica Houston is just like acting her pants off through that makeup but she's not being over the top the whole time she understands in her performance that sometimes it is much scarier to be quiet mm-hmm. and to just have that quiet menace witches of England your disgrace miserable witches your good for nothing world Everywhere I look, I see the repulsive sight of hundreds, thousands of revolting little children 
Anne Hathaway just is yelling through a lot of CGI throughout this whole whole movie, and it's just I put and in my review. And she briefly flies for some reason, for no reason, and it's bad. She just floats around for no reason, and she's like at one point swimming through the air basically to catch the the boy, and it's it's not scary. It's silly looking. I just want to say for the record, Anne Hathaway, I think you're great. We love you, but <laughs> yeah. I, I blame the director. When I was scared for her because she was wearing stiletto heels and there are so many plank, like plank floor situations. Like the stage was like stage planks and there's cracks in between. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> the stiletto, she's going down. I was sure it was going to happen and then didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about her feet? Because like they- The addition of a toe. She has like a magic special witch toe that's like specifically there so she could wear pointy shoes and look sexier when she's in like humanish mode, which is just so weird because like- it, the- Was it for sex appeal or was it because, because like I sort of saw it as being like, I get, because what it reminded me of is in Jurassic Park when the kids are hiding in the in the kitchen and the raptor's going around and it has like the middle toe claw going click 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 so that's what I assumed because like in in the you know sort of the end bit when Mm -hmm. we're like you know mice and grandma like oh what's gonna happen Uh, we do have a little moment like that um so I did kind of wonder I was like I was like is it just because that but then it could also just be a Guillermo del Toro thing because you know a a a toeless foot is not as scary as a foot with one toe kind of I don't know yeah and Again, if it had been an actual like prosthetic or physical like thing they had built to look like that, it would have been way scarier. But the way it had is in this movie, it was just yeah, it's flubber, green tape over her toes. (laughs) Yeah, like all of it, like her hands are flubber. There's no weight or reality to any of the stuff. Choice was strange. Like I did notice early on that I was I was like, oh, we got some weird stuff happening in these gloves here. But I assumed it just had to do with the claws. That, but no, it was a weird hand, you know. And it was one of those things where I found myself thinking, I was like, this is probably not great uh, for folks who are missing fingers. Like that probably does not feel good to oh, yeah. see that on screen. Um, <laughs> I don't know the 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 word for the for what that condition is, um, but you know, like I've had friends with the you know. Oh yeah, like there's you know the uh, othering of people mm-hmm. because of disabilities or you know losing limbs or fingers, like that's sort of just a big another problem in society and another group of people like women or Jews that have been blamed for ridiculous evil of eating children. So yeah, it's an, it's another problem here. And I think that just like one of the biggest problems though is the tone change be- between the original and this one because the original was a horror film. It was a horror film for kids, but it was a horror film and it was directed by a director who made horror movies. Oh, and I it's Yeah, he wasn't like most of his other movies are horror or he kind of went into like some soft core porn a bit later oh, in his life oh, so that's an interesting you know, choice but yeah it's this what? film I, the new one's supposed to kind of be like is it comedy <sighs> comedy that starts with parents dying in the first two minutes like let's, you know, let's let's get into that so all right I that was the very first thing I noted I yeah I, that was when I started taking notes is because 
we went from, they, they throw you in very quick, Chris Rock doing voiceover where he's like, let's get this straight right now. There are witches. And it's interesting because like the book starts the same way where we have a chapter where we're not even in the plot yet. It's just running you through which, which is a real here are how you spot them. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, I wasn't saying witches. I was saying, which is, which is, but that's funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> which of course for a, a child is fascinating. Cause anytime you tell a kid, like, here is a thing about the world that you don't know yet that I'm going to tell you about. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a good entry point to, it just, it sucks you in right away as a child. And they did that. They kept that in the first movie too, where they really take their time with that. And it's uh, really done well. This movie, they, they don't do it all in the beginning. They kind of like sort of feed it out to you sort of, but then there's this whole big part in the middle. And that's kind of what I want to talk about right now is like, so we go from this really brief primer with Chris Rock to you know like and we and we we set up that witches squish children which is not saying kill them it's squishing them whatever and then we go from that to child upside down in a car and and saying mommy daddy to his dead parents in the front seat and it's like that is so much more traumatizing and i've had this i've thought about this quite a bit lately just because like one of the projects i'm working on is i'm trying to sort of do a more horror-ish because like with kids I, I as a kid loved spooky things yeah I loved the idea of horror when I was a kid but I, I also am a big baby about being scared and you know that's kind of the line you got to have to walk with kids is like they like spooky they like intrigue they like the you know they they, they kind of like getting up to that edge of a thrill but then there's fun thrill and then there's real life sad scary and the car crash is so sad, scary in this. And I was like, oh my gosh, that what a horrible thing to kind of spring on people. Especially because in the book, he's not, oh no, he, he is actually, he does get, he gets a cut across the forehead. But in the, in the first movie, they don't have him in the car. It yeah, just he, his parents are going out somewhere. And like the first movie does it so well with the way it introduces. It's very quiet. And it's just his grandma telling him a story while his parents are off somewhere and then his parents don't come home. And that's very good storytelling in that movie because it does get the horror of that. And it also kind of implies, and to me, when I watched it as a kid, I thought the witches had killed his parents mm. because witches were somehow still involved with his grandma. And so, cause she was like a witch hunter. That's sort yeah. of implied. That's, that's something that like, I felt very strange about in this movie that they, they, cause in the so in the book and in the first movie she is a retired witch hunter that's why she knows so much about witches yeah in this movie they tried to make it be that grandma was a voodoo practitioner sort of oh boy whatever we'll we'll come back to that um that and that's sort of supposed to be her in with it except for the fact that she seems to know nothing about witches like she has a a sort of a, a an experience based set of knowledge but she doesn't know all of the details she is not like so much of the exposition is is taken out of her hands and sort of put upon the put to the kids and put to the the plot which i think they meant they did that in order to give the kids a more empowered role in this to make them more pro to make them more active so like the kids are in charge of the information the kids are the one bringing the information to grandma but really what it did is it kind of 
it it really it turned her into this weird sort of you know clueless character who was just sort of bouncing around like grandma why are you here I don't know uh it was such a waste of Octavia Spencer I I, I felt I again with her performance and with Anne Hathaway's performance and with the effects it all comes together that I'm blaming the director for this because you can't get that much bad all at once without the director being the one who's screwing things up and there were so many line readings and so many horrible lines she had to read where she's just like, I won't let you get by with your evil plan. It was so bad and so it was silly and over the top. It was like diet caffeine free the help. Yeah, it really was. And also even Chris Rock, his voiceover, his the the tone he sets in the first few minutes before the horrible car crash is so antithetical to that. And it's so over the top. And so, like, it's way, way too much. Way too much. All right. So I got to ask, because I I wrote what in all capital letters. <laughs> um, so both uh, right after we discussed. So, all right. What do you think about that scene where grandma is telling her, uh, telling grandson to basically cheer up and get over it? I mean... Did that knock you? Did that knock you out? It knocked me out. It was just like it, that. That scene and so much of the early stuff and some of the stuff in the hotel. It feels like there was a whole other first draft of this movie that had a lot more to do with race and their relationship and their time in the world and their location that got almost entirely scrubbed out of what we eventually got. Absolutely, like and, it's. It's set in Alabama in the 60s. Yeah. And like, yeah, let's talk about how weird race is in this movie. Because (laughs) they had a whole great opportunity with, instead of like making this, you know, a racist parable from Roald Dahl, they could have really done something interesting with the witches as, you know, uncaring or predatory white people who are cut. Because they say after at one point in this remake, oh, the witches only come after people who won't be missed. And so they're basically implying that they're coming after like black and brown children, which also doesn't make any sense if witches want to kill all children. But again, whatever. It's, well, it's, it's speculating on the draft we never saw. So like one of the writers uh, is Kenya Barris who writes on Blackish. And so I assume yeah. that that was at some point in the plans on the books, clearly between whenever that happened and this, a lot like I don't I don't know how much of course because we haven't seen the script but like you can feel it and that's what why this movie is so strange because it's like eating around the edge of something that isn't there anymore yeah uh, so there this this movie is full of these phantoms of like oh I think there used to be a thing here uh and and the movie I, what's funny is like you feel it too in this in the staging, this is this is not intentional, but like, did you ever notice how eerily empty the hotel is sometimes? Oh yeah. There's no extras. And even the ballroom, like in the big witch meeting scene, like when people are filing in, I was like, could we not afford enough witches to fill this out? Uh. Yeah, and like, to contrast this to the original, and I watched the original 
uh, last night with my child because she asked to. She's like, can I see the movie with the Grand High Witch? And <laughs> Sure. And she likes just to fast forward to where the Grand High Witch shows up because everything Very before that is kind of boring. But watching that scene, contrasting those two scenes in particular, like in the remake, the witches are like robots. They have no personality. They follow Anne Hathaway around in like perfect lines and they sit down all together and they have no personality. In the original, every witch is different. Some of them are men in drag, which is like a fun thing to notice. You're like, oh, no, that's that's not a woman there. But like the reveal on them, you see all their different individual faces and you get character in that moment. I and they did have... that to save on bald caps. Yeah, <laughs> that probably, because there's some in the original movie, you can see like, oh, that is a very visible bald cap. They did not do any blending there. But like you have like, you get a sense not just of all these individual witches, but you get a sense of the Grand High Witch's power because everyone is so afraid of her. And I think one of the worst things this movie did was actually remove a character who I don't think is in the book is her um, assistant. Because mm. in do you, does she have her little assistant in the book? Not that I recall. Um, the as And again, it's been probably 20 years since I read the book. Because you never uh, got it back. <laughs> I, I know I never got it back. Uh, so as I, the way I recall it is that like, we don't really get too much into the person like the, the, the fear of the grand high, which is certainly there, but you know, you don't really get the sense yeah, of like, it's all from the kid's point of view and a movie has the advantage. Of so there may have been of of an assistant and that sort of thing. In the original movie, the fact that she has this assistant who's like following her around and who is both afraid of her and reverent of her does a lot for her character because it shows the audience, here's how someone feels about her. And we don't have that here. And so Anne Hathaway is just acting almost into a void. Like there's no, there's nothing coming back for her and there's no tension in the scenes with her. Like when she, you know, dusts some witch who disagrees with her. It's such a contrast to the original because there's that tension building in the original one. Angelica Houston is like speaking that rhyming spell basically. And you're like, and you see the witches scooting away and there's just, it just happens in this remake and it's such bad filmmaking. It gives me the sense there, there are certain things in this movie that give me the sense that Zemeckis was like, well, people already know that this is going to happen. So let's just get past it. And yeah. we get the stuff that is new that we want to do. Which is like, uh, okay, we have a Christian Chenoweth mouths. That, sorry, spoilers right. for people who haven't seen this. Um, we're gonna and also, about- I, I don't think that that, I, I, I don't, I didn't, I, I didn't get far enough in the first movie to re to, to get to that point, but also I'm pretty sure in the book that like the white mice that the kid has oh, yeah, are they're not just children. Mice. They're just mice. Cause it, it's such a, so for, for our listeners who luckily have not seen this movie <laughs> and who are listening to us and don't intend to see it. So um, the boy who doesn't have a name in the remake, it doesn't have a name in the original book. He, um, or he's just a narrator in the book. Uh, he gets a mouse from his grandmother to cheer him up. And it turns out to be another um, kid who got turned into a mouse, which doesn't make I, it's I feel a like crazy coincidence. That, I, that feels like a studio note to me where they're like, we really need to show we need how a girl mouse. widespread. No, it's, they're like, we need to show how widespread the witch's power is. Like we need to really show more of the consequences or whatever. 
And I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe it was, they were like, we need a girl, you know? And, but it's so, it, it's so illogical that like, oh, he just happened to end up with the mouse that used to be a person. And the whole point of like the witch, the grand high witch bringing this potion is that it's a new thing to turn children into mice. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's Kristen Chenoweth does her voice, which is kind of funny to me because Kristen Chenoweth is like, 40 or she's she's older she's not a child but she has that voice that just like passes for a child's voice I guess it's so funny because I didn't know it was Kristen Chenoweth until after I saw the movie and while I heard her talking I was like who is this child and what is this accent uh and then when I found out it was Kristen Chenoweth later I was like oh no, yeah yeah that that's yeah. Kristen Chenoweth. they paid her for it. like two days of work it was she yeah she's she's probably all about 10 minutes worth of lines in the movie maybe yeah. And then, but they kept, it's so funny to me, they kept Bruno Jenkins, his friend. As an English bully. Yeah. Like, and it's like, it's exactly. It's gloop. He's, I don't know. I don't know if this book was written before or after Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but it's definitely like an Augustus Gloop sketch. And how, you know, and I think this is Roald Dahl more so than the movie, but he was a really fat phobic person among all, all his other isms and phobia, his sort of you know, hatred of children who like to eat is the thing that runs through all his works and his sort of, you know, othering and making fun of fat children comes up. And then you see it again and like kind of that sort of character again comes up in Harry Potter. And so it gets perpetuated like, oh yeah, the stupid fat kid, and which I just sort of hate for a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with witchcraft. And it's like, that's not body shame children this early. And it's not as pronounced in the first, it's not as big a deal in the first movie, I think. Like, you know, Luke gets Bruno to come up to his grandmother's room and say, oh, she's got peanuts. So many choices. Yeah, yeah. Like the, uh, you mean as a mouse, he he persuades him to come up because she's got peanuts. Yeah. 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 So yeah, we have the effects and the tone are um, weird. The race thing is just strange. The race thing is so strange. Because it's, it's the Go setup ahead. is there and then it's gone. It's not there at all. It's like they don't tip their hat to it. It's it's very strange. Yeah, and like they had, you know, in the original and in the book, like the Grand High Witch is vaguely like European German, which ties into some of this anti-Semitic stuff. You didn't have to have that here. If you want to do something here, have her be a mean Southern lady who's racist. That would have been amazing. That would have been much more interesting, especially nowadays. You could have actually like justified the existence of this movie by making it about the idea that like white people do prey on black people or BIPOC people, but they just didn't do that. Peel was making this movie. Can you imagine? That would that would actually be pretty good. Yeah, our list of directors we'd like to have actually seen do this movie because I feel like Guillermo del Toro must have just had a development on a remake. Well, that's why he got script credit for because he. Has well, it's a- like Guillermo del Toro has like a zillion things in development. You yeah. know, I want um, him to focus. Make, give Guillermo, please make your haunted mansion movie. I just really want to see that. <laughs> you know, that's that's one I really want. Okay. Uh, here's a weird thing in the movie that that okay. Octavia's cough. Yeah, what's that? It it does not get resolved 
at all. We get, we start coughing and it's like, she has this vague mention of like a witch can cause a cough. And then we just never mention again. And it's, it's constantly just like, <laughs> you know, it's in, in the book. And in the first movie, grandma is sick. And that's why we're at the hotel. But in this movie, it's like, as soon as he interacts with a witch, she was like, we need to get out of here. We'll go to a fancy hotel. Witches won't bother us at a at a fancy hotel because they only come after black children so we'll go to a hotel where there are no black people yeah she specifically says like we'll go where there's rich white people you know and there's no like again there's like a few like tiny glimmers of like some people raising you know there's the valets are impressed that she's there and we never talk about how she can afford this and then well, they, they, she, it's it's very strange exposition where she mentions some relation who works there who we yeah. never meet yeah who's not like her apparently her guys yeah, her cousin or something is like is in the kitchen and they never follow up on that to get in the kitchen when they need to wait so. wait oh that's right the cousin's in the kitchen maybe that's why so this is another one of my notes is like the hotel is eerily empty all the time, but the kitchen is packed. It's more full than the kitchen in Ratatouille. And like, I like there's at least 30 people in this kitchen set, which is so many people. And it gets used for all of like two minutes and we don't really interact. And there's this crazy line too, where like the chef who is yelling at all his sous chefs and moving things around. And then I kind of vaguely heard this line, but I wasn't totally sure. And I think he says, somebody get a sharp knife so I can kill myself. Yeah. It's it's so great. Was that improvised? (laughs) Yeah. Like the, the, the kitchen stuff, like in the original, the kitchen's really like, it feels very real. Like, Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Go, Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, he's in like a, you know, this very real mouse puppet that looks great is in these like very real looking like potatoes and like you have feel genuine fear. Oh, he's going to get fried with all the French fries. Yes, yes, yes. And like he actually gets like a bit of his little tail cut off. Yeah. And um, in the book, <laughs> it's really funny. They get the potion in the soup the exact same way in both movies. It's via a ladle. So that's an int- I don't know if that's a the one thing they intentionally it's so it's so weird to me that they they set up this kitchen and like the danger of the mouse getting the potion into the soup and it it, it's basically one of those things where they're like oh oh no is it gonna work out and then it works out and literally nothing happened like i don't know if this is gonna work and then it works like (laughs) and yeah and then like we can talk about the um the potion is weird because like they have to keep it on ice until they don't it's like, why is right. it on ice? And then like, they keep it for several years. First, can I bring up how many boob jokes are in this movie? Like I I wrote it down. Like I kept writing down another boob joke. Why? You know? And it's like, it's like, it's like she pulls stuff out of her boobs. She puts stuff back in her boobs. When she explodes at the end, a gold bustier is left. Why? <laughs> because, you know, it's just like, it's not, it's, it's there's some anti- you know, it's about witches, so you got to have some misogyny in there, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> never called attention to. It's never, ever used for anything real. It's just like every now and again, Anne Hathaway puts her hand in the cookie jar. 
And like, you know, and it was to the point where I was like, surely the mouse is going to fall into her cleavage at some point. That feels like what we're going towards. And then in the end, it was just the weird gold bustier. And I guess, I I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I guess we can Uh, talk about like the performances that, the the, the one performance I thought was good was Stanley Tucci because Stanley Tucci is always good. Great in everything. He's playing the Mr. Bean character from the, who's also very fun in the original, but oh my God, Anne Hathaway, what was she doing? Oh gosh, like plantation split pea soup. I have that written yeah. down, and I was like, "This seems like a, like an earlier draft." Like it's every now and again you get that remnant of like back when this was about something instead of nothing. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, the plantation split pea. Gosh, there are so many colloquialisms in this movie. So this is one of those things where, like, being from the south, uh, it just it. It, it, it picks up on my radar more and they have so many that are they're stacking them up like plates you know faster than a hot knife cuts through butter crazier than a hog on slaughter day you know you know my family's from Alabama I've never heard these expressions like the one that I would you know work as if it was rainy and sunny and someone said oh the devil's beating his wife which is something that my grandma always said and I said it to somebody in Oregon and they thought I was insane. But <laughs> I, I make up I make feel up southern at all. And pretend like people say them, but like they don't. <laughs> um oh, can we talk oh, about the voodoo thing? Okay. Uh, sorry. Oh go go ahead. Uh I'm just looking through my notes for other stuff. So like six six six. We haven't talked about that yet. Why was there the weird first and the weird all, garlic thing? First too? of all. It's ridiculous that like, again, it's like, it's, it's so funny that this dialogue is in there just to explain the set. So they have this hotel, which is clearly not more than three or three stories up or three or four. And then they get into the hotel and they get their room number and it's seven, six, six. Ooh. (gasps) And like, just and so and 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 it's like but there's not seven stories a valid point since we were already outside (laughs) and like and they have to be like oh well the guy who started this place was a numerologist and you know if you add up seven six it's just like oh my god and then and it's just so that downstairs the grand high which can be in room 666 that's the only reason and it's not even that good like it's a work for something that is not that good <laughs> it's yeah, like gotta get the devil stuff in there they gotta get like the vampire stuff in there because she doesn't want garlic oh yeah i forgot like, about that which is like, aren't garlic. repelled yeah. by garlic i expected the garlic to come back i expected the garlic to i was i was like when i heard the garlic thing i was like oh wait 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 i thought we got them with the potion are we not doing that anymore are we getting them with garlic no it's it and again, it's like there's so much extra dialogue written to support that one weird choice. I'm smushing my face, <laughs> listeners at home. Um, like, it's like, it's like, it's like you have a leak in your roof and you're like, great, I'll, I'll, I'll put a tarp over the roof and then that stops working. You're like, I'll put a brick on top of the tarp and then you know, that stops working. And you're like, great, we'll just, you know, we'll pour some concrete on it perfect um it's like they put the garlic thing in and then they 
And then like, because they have Octavia come into the restaurant and the guy is dissuading her from ordering the split pea soup. Uh, Sorry, correction, the plantation, uh, the, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) What's that? The plantation kitchen split. Thank you. Uh, Like, honestly, I'm like, frankly, just the name was enough to keep her from ordering that. Like, (laughs) just like. Uh, you know, anyway, yeah. but like this, this the, you know, the, and they go through this whole thing of like, oh, well, you wouldn't want that soup because it's flavorless. It's so bland because there's no garlic in it. And I was like, is that the only thing that's in split pea soup? Because I don't know. You don't put garlic in split pea soup, by the way. I make <laughs> split pea soup. It's like mostly peas and ham and ham bone and some like onions and carrots. It's the best part about split pea soup is it tastes, it takes like several days to make. Um, but yeah and also another one of these things that is completely dropped and also nonsensical is the stuff about her being a voodoo priestess yes all right let's talk about that now like i am not a voodoo practitioner but i have like read some about it there's nothing in all accurate about like the few things we see of her doing quote-unquote voodoo like she's like waving around some white sage and she's got like a piece of amethyst, which is like, okay, she's like a new agey witch. Great. She's, that's not voodoo. And she's also, there's a lot of religious talk from her about like the good Lord and that sort of stuff, which can, yeah. you know, work in conjunction with voodoo. But if she was a real voodoo practitioner, she would maybe talk about some, you know, I don't know, voodoo or hoodoo spirits or entities, but no. And then it doesn't pay off at all. Like, I appreciated the idea that, like, okay, good magic exists and something that's, like, rooted in real practice of magic and healing exists in this world. That's nice to kind of show that, like, not all, quote-unquote, witches are evil, but then it doesn't pay off in the story at all. She tries to use... Yeah, you're exactly right. Like, there's one moment. It's when they, they get the bottle up and she's doing the... It's like it's basically a chem lab where she's trying to see if she can unmake the potion. Yeah. And, and she's got yeah. holy water from Lords, which. Okay. Like, and she's got some like liquefied, like essential oils of like hyssop and rivet and mugwort, which are all like some good magical ingredients. Mugwort's great for everything, but why would you travel with them? It's like, and why would you travel I'm willing, with Lord's I'm willing holy to forgive, water? For, to forgive the whole traveling with your stuff if she's a voodoo practitioner, but like by, by most of what we've seen, it's not her main thing that she does. Like mostly, I guess, I, I don't know. It's like, it's like, it, it barely ever comes up. And the, and it, and it's another one of those things where it's like, it's in the beginning of the movie. And then I guess they kept it so she could have this moment where she like tests the potion to see if she can unmake it. And then no, but it's it's just it, it's kind of like when you film people on a computer, like that is not an interesting thing to watch someone do. And, and this was had sort of the same effect, where like this was sort of a boring lab exercise, and and it was just sort of like, nope, can't do it, can't be done. Guess we're gonna have to find another way. And then the kid comes up with the idea of putting the potion in the in the soup or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it justifies the way that this movie actually is truer to the book in the way it ends, because the book ends with him staying a mouse, right? Yes. And he basically says, oh, I'm going to, 
I don't mind being a mouse because I'll die soon and my grandma's going to die soon and I don't want to live without my grandma around, which is dark. It's one of those things where in the book, you don't notice it so much because it's like, it kind of makes sense. It's not as heavy handed in the book. And it's like when we're far into the future and we're having a happy ending and like, we're just having a pleasant, quiet evening and that sort of thing. And it's like, it makes sense as a kid because you're, you know, your family is your whole life and imagining. He's already lost his parents. Like, yeah. But again, it's not, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's so heavy handed when they bring it back here. And it's like, I'm going to die at the same time as you. Wow. That is a, a very intense statement for a young child mouse so yeah and then you know bruno's parents abandon him and Mm -hmm. so it's like and then there's daisy who's an orphan and so they all are like little mouse family which is okay nice for them um (laughs) yep and then he turns into old man chris rock mouse which is just weird but i can i I, ends with a a very disconcerting uh children you know, like being taught to kill witches. Oh, great. Which, yeah, love that. Which was like, uh, I was like, wow, this is really some Hillary Youth energy. Uh, oh my god, yeah. Uh, it was. Okay. It was a little. It was a. It was a little JoJo Rabbit for my taste, and it I was, was. It was very intense, and, and when I, you bring I, in I was, the anti-Semitism of the original. It's just like, okay, cool. We're doing that. And I like the way the movie ends because I like her assistant turning out to be like the good witch. And that's a better implication that like, okay, if witches use their magic in nice ways, they aren't monstrous. They have real hair. And it's very like at the end of the original, you see her look at her hands, which aren't claws. And she's like, oh, I did nice magic. And so I don't have claws. I doing evil magic is what turns us into the monsters, which is much better than like voodoo being mentioned being useless. And it's much nicer that you know Luke, as he's known in the original in the original movie, gets to be human again, rather than like, oh, I'll just die in a few years and my grandma dies. There's a, this is a another personal witch story of mine. Uh just when they mention about her being a healer. So I that that's a story my grandma told me when I was uh I was probably like 11 or 12 and I was playing the witch in the wizard of Oz at the like little com- community theater is cute. Excellent. And you know, family goes out to TCBY afterwards and she's telling me about um, my great grandmother who had had a boarding house during the depression and had learned some healing methods, you know, because from one of her boarders who had sort of done that sort of in trade and uh and so my grandma was telling me in the bit, the, the TLDR of her story was like, your great grandma was witch, BT dubs. Um, and it, it's just one of those things that's, it's, it's such a complicated history for that kind of role in communities, because of course, like, it, uh, like really like what that, what does that mean? A healer? It could mean literally anything. And my grandma did not have a lot of grown up details for me, but, you know, of course, like uh, in women's health, there is a lot of call for, you know, like there's a lot of gaps between like the, the healthcare that is needed and the healthcare that is available. Um, and it's sort of the same thing in uh, communities of color, or underprivileged communities where like a healer can bridge that gap. And it's such an important gap to be bridged. 
um, about providing health care that, uh, you know, is, is sometimes has a little edge of the witchiness to it. And, yeah. you know, and it's one of those things where like that would have been a very interesting concept to sort of play out within this. Uh, and it doesn't. So it doesn't. And like that's sort of in the history of like which persecutions you have, like the the persecutions of these imaginary Satan worshiping, child murdering cabals. And then you have like the actual women who are practicing folk magic and healing and what we would now call witchcraft. And so there's like these two different narratives of witchcraft and this movie only kind of gets to one and both versions nod at the other, but I think the earlier version did a bit better job. I think the earlier version did a bit better job in almost all the ways. It's funny. I I mentioned I hadn't gotten to the end of rewatching the first one. And so I have forgotten that ending, but you're right. It makes such a huge difference. Like this idea that like you become the kind of magic you practice. Exactly. Um, And that's, amazing and that totally should have like you know honestly you kind of feel like maybe maybe that was an idea by having Octavia's character be a a healer practitioner versus the witches with their bendy arms um (laughs) it's like I you kind of feel like that maybe that that had some at some point been on the books and then it just again it just evaporated out rewrites and it's so, and again, it's so dark in this because both her magic and her faith in the Christian God, which she mentions many times, are useless against this sort of evil, which terrible. is that's like, it's so terrible. Like, uh, if you wanted to make her faith a bigger thing, have her say a prayer and have like God turn him into a kid again at the end or something. But no, you want to have old Chris Rockmouse with a beard. <laughs> It's honestly like that. That's interesting to wonder how that would play. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that's the kind of thing where like it's it's very easy to make a kid movie about, or I shouldn't say anything is easy. Nothing's easy, but like you can make a kid movie about witchcraft and magic, but then you start throwing, you know, Judeo Christian like God will save you stuff in there, and it really muddies the water. Uh, I I would have preferred like they wouldn't have mentioned the good Lord at all. Like they did, because that was just like, every time they did it, it was cringe. And well, yeah, to me, to me, it just sounded like, uh, it was just so stereotypical. Like, that's why I said it was like, you know, diet caffeine free, the help where it was just like, I was like, are you just writing that in here? Because you have a certain voice in your head for what she's supposed to sound like as a, an old black Southern grandma and old black Southern grandmas say, the good lord a lot like is that yeah. why you did it uh because it kind of feels like that it just feels like they just did it because it's that's what she's supposed to say or she's supposed to sound like it it, it didn't feel like it was there for a reason it was just like it, it was just like it was like broad strokes you know dialogue <laughs> um yeah and i think that comes down with like that's the problem with this whole remake is there's no reason for it. They don't justify its existence by making it different or even making it entertaining. Because like a lot of I movies mean, can the witches, a uh, They made the witches a lot more traumatizing. Like yeah. when she's going after the kid in the vent, like That's that was scary. on my note to myself where I was like, we've crossed over into too scary. Yeah. Like 
Uh, and again, it's like that fine, the, I am fascinated by this fine line in making horror content for kids. Like when is it scary enough and when is it too scary? And I think the, you know, witch coming after you in the vent with the stretchy arms with her mouth split wide open is definitely in the nightmare category. Yeah. And there's, there's ways to do that kind of thing and make it interesting and artistic. I'm thinking now about like Coraline, which is one of my Mm -hmm. daughters who is, she saw it when she, I think was three. Don't call child services on me. Um, She loves that. And at the end, it really does get legitimately scary with like the Belle Femme. She's in that wire frame and she's become a spider Mm -hmm. and she's chasing after her. And she's even got like her hands come after. But because it's animated and because of like the tone has built towards that gradually, Mm -hmm. it's it's scary, but it's manageable. And she's able to, you know, defeat the evil. So, you know, Coraline. As opposed to this movie where we don't defeat the evil in that moment, it's just really scary and we barely get away. Yeah. Uh, Also, and again, another scene where Anne Hathaway is doing this all by herself and like is eerily in this eerily empty space where I guess it's a barroom full of witches, maybe, but also yeah, they have no character. The only thing that I kind of liked that was kind of scarier in like an interesting way was they used the, the Hamlet method for poisoning him. They poured it in his ear, which is an interesting reference to Hamlet, which I'm sure all the kids will get. I want to, that feels like a Del Toro thing, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so it, it was so... That was that was a funny moment because it was just kind of like, oh, good, we're we're putting this in. It has nothing to do with anything, but we're all like, yeah, Hamlet, yeah, yep. So, so final thoughts. You know, is this an accurate portrayal of witchcraft? Oh boy, no, it's not. No, it's it's an accurate portrayal of the historic prejudices against women and Jews and people suspected of witchcraft. So, is it a good thing that these movies exist? Maybe not, but at least the first one is an entertaining, scary movie for kids. I don't know if the second one needed to exist at all. This one, I mean, it's, we're, you know, we're all staying home a lot more than we used to. You know, we're all hungry for something to sit and watch with our kids. So it's like the bar is lower but even with the low, low bar of, is this good enough to, like, you know, you can skip it. You can um, skip it. I would recommend, and I've tweeted this, um, if you're looking for something to watch with your kids that has magic, that has goddesses in it, that's really beautiful and deals with actually the grief of losing a parent in a very profound and beautiful way, I would encourage everyone to watch Over the Moon on Netflix. Which is a- I've been reading about Over the Moon. I and I, I read about it, and I was like, I'm not emotionally prepared to watch this. Movie. No, you gotta have <laughs> tissue ready. It will make you cry. It's like I, I. It's been I compared it, and a lot of people comparing it to Coco. In essentially, like Coco was a very Mexican story about finding your family and connecting to that legacy. This is a very Chinese movie. It's set in China. It's about a Chinese legend. Everyone in it is Asian. Um, And it is also about dealing with the grief of loss. And it is done beautifully. And I'll probably cry as I'm explaining this, but the screenwriter, um, Audrey Wells, Audrey Wells, she uh, was diagnosed with cancer 
while mm-hmm. they were writing it. And so basically it's like a goodbye to her family. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. But so everyone go watch Over the Moon instead of The Witches and support a really wonderful, diverse, beautiful, very magical uh, movie that's not anti-Semitic. And I will say one good thing about The Witches. Several mm-hmm. times I made notes about how great Anne's wardrobe is. Yeah. Like they spared no expense. Oh yeah. They, the, the costumes were great. Robes, <laughs> the, the, the best hats. You know, yeah. I feel like there's that great gif or the interview of like Aretha Franklin talking about is it Ariana Grande? And she's like, Oh yes, beautiful gowns. Beautiful <laughs> gowns. So that's how I feel about this movie. It's some beautiful gowns. Oh, I'm Good sorry. Hats. I'm sorry. I know we're wrapping up and we're already done talking about this movie. But the cat, like could have hired a real cat. Could have had the like, CGI of the cat. <laughs> what was the point of the cat? I forget. Like Remember, because remember, Stanley Tucci brings a little cage, and he, and like they, it's a big deal about whether or not the cat will be in the cage, and then the cat gets in the cage, and then she's mad at the cat, and then the cat gets to kill her in the end. And is that like? Oh, I guess is it's it supposed to be a child. I don't know. Is it? I guess is it yeah. a child or is it a real cat? What world are we living in? All right, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> and the, yeah, the, we could talk about this for a long time because one of the things we, we didn't mention is like the transformations into mice are really bad. It's again, the CGI. They clearly were trying to do what they did in the first movie where they were trying to get a laugh out of it. You know, yeah, but the first movie, they're terrifying. They're mm-hmm. horrifying. And like the end of the first movie is just like, it's horror. It's a horror movie. Cause like, you know, people are turning into mice and they're getting murdered right there. And like, it's, it's gross. And, but in a scary way. It's very, yeah, it's very Cronenberg. But like, wasn't there like purple smoke and fart sounds in both movies? In the original, there's like green smoke and ah, burps. And so we've transitioned to purple smoke and farts. So <laughs> that's not a great evolution. So that's sort of, you know, it's a downgrade. All right. Well, thank you so much for <laughs> talking about um, this amazing movie for those of people listening who want to find you online or find your work can you tell them where to find you yeah so i'm on twitter and instagram at sasquatch comics and i'm gonna spell it out for you because i don't spell it like a normal human being um s-a-s-s-q-u-a-c-h comics so sass like i'm sassy and quatch like my last name uh and i also have a website sasquatch.com i yeah, I have a book called Santa's Husband, which is darling and charming, and you should get it for Christmas. And uh, I have a new book that comes out January fifth, uh, Princess Dinosaur. Very excited uh, about that one. You can you can pre order that now anywhere you like. I encourage you to support your local indie bookstore because they could use it. Remember, lot everyone order your Christmas presents from your indie bookstores now. Give them a break. <laughs> like do it right now. And I, oh yes, and I have a podcast uh, called Deck the Halls of Matrimony, also very good for Christmas time. Yeah, I will encourage anyone who wants to get into the holiday mood and just enjoy like, I, this is, it's almost like a, a 30s madcap romantic comedy. I love that podcast so much and it's a romantic comedy Christmas podcast. It reminds me of like Burns and Allen. It's- That is a high compliment. So- yeah so all right well thank you so much for being on 
And yeah, we'll have you on again to watch, you know, something, a better movie next time. Well, the first one is good. Let's just say that the first one, if you're going to watch it, watch the first one. It's a experience, you know, as as someone with a history with the book, it was good to, to consider how far we've come and the change in conversation about these works, you know, what, what role can it really play in today's society? Yes. Well, thank you for listening to episode four of the Real Magic Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope that you maybe take some of the things we said into your decision if you're going to watch the new version of The Witches. Now, next week, we'll be talking about another re-something, The Craft Legacy. I'm actually pretty excited to talk about this because I have seen the movie, and I actually liked this one. So it's going to be a fun talk. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Real Magic Pod. If you like the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell everyone you know to listen to it. Go listen back to some of our old episodes if you haven't listened to that yet. And come back next week. Have a blessed Samhain and keep watching those movies, casting those spells, and having a good time. Blessed be. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, 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 Goodb